Welcome to the Straw Hat Social Club, a One Piece recap show. I'm Todd, the One Piece expert, which is a made-up title that just means I've read the manga. And I'm joined by someone who is completely new to One Piece, the lovely and talented Becca. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> okay. We're going to get um, our internet back. <laughs> hopefully tomorrow. We'll see. It's been a rough week. But today... You're going to join us as we travel to Logetown, which covers episode 45 and episodes 48 through 53 of the One Piece anime and chapters 96 through 100 of the manga. So this is our first time really dealing with filler in uh, One Piece. So we're going to have to explain that a little bit. I did want to kind of mention starting out that you know, this this place is called Logetown, but in the four kids and in the manga that I've been reading, it was called Rogetown, which on its face seemed to make more sense to me. Um, it's another one of those things like Zoro, Zolo, that I was like, what, like, why did they even change this? And until I saw people pointed out with Logetown, it's, it's called the town of beginnings and ends. And the log is kind of like prologue, epilogue, and this is kind of like a prologue and an epilogue wrapped into one arc because it's ending the the prologue of the East Blue Saga because the East Blue Saga in itself is kind of like the prologue to One Piece before they go to the Grand Line, which kind of kicks off the actual story. But Logetown itself is kind of the epilogue of this the saga. Because we already got Arlong Park, which was like the big climax. And this is the little tiny setup to the next arc, the next uh, saga, really. So it makes sense. Yeah, I think that's actually kind of genius. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense. than. Yeah. But I guess with Rogue Town, it's like, well, it's just, it, it's like dumbing <laughs> it down. You know, it, it makes more sense on its face. When we're talking about fillers, are you familiar with the idea of fillers i know we talked about it a little bit uh, i mean yeah yeah i mean yeah. it's pretty self-explanatory but i yeah yeah i mean in in the case of st something like this you know in america we generally have like seasons for tv shows and like some anime is set up like that too but when you have these like major series like one piece i mean we're already up to like episode 53, which for a regular series, that's a lot of episodes for One Piece. It's like a tiny drop in the bucket. <laughs> and it seems like One Piece, it just kind of airs like year round. It's like that kind of thing. So naturally fillers come into place when you want to kind of stretch out the pacing, especially if there's a risk of catching up, because this has happened with things like uh, Full Metal Alchemist, which I know you're a big fan of. They had the original series, which caught up to the manga. So then they had to make things up. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's saying they have in the Game of Thrones when you think about it. Yeah. And in the case of Full Metal Alchemist, they redid it later with, you know, the full manga being completed and adapting the full story. So I guess with One Piece, obviously they don't want that to happen. So their solution is to introduce filler stuff to give the, the manga more like runway to keep going. For the sake of this podcast, we're not going to be covering filler stuff. We're going to be focused on just the like core One Piece story. And I think at some point we'll probably go back and check out the filler stuff, maybe do like side episodes about it or something. But in the meantime, this one's a little awkward because episodes 46 and 47 are 
a buggy side story, which makes sense when we get to, you know, the actual episodes here, but they're kind of retelling these um, cover stories that they would do in the manga. I think I brought this up before that a lot of times for the covers, they'll have like one panel of a story and then the next chapter will be like the next panel of that story. And it's usually like background stuff that's just telling you like, yeah, this is what's going on. So in this in this case, it's after Buggy was defeated and launched into the ocean. It just explains how he like meets back up with his crew and everything. So wait, is the filler in the anime also the side stories in the manga or Sometimes. is it okay sometimes like that that one is it's obviously since it's just cover stories it's like very truncated in the manga and this covers two episodes of the anime so we haven't even watched it so i don't know how much it changes but obviously they've had to like fill in a lot of stuff it just felt like irrelevant for right now but it's also worth pointing out that episodes 50 and 51 are like also little filler side stories and we did watch these um i think we're gonna have to tackle this on like a case-by-case basis going forward in this case i'd heard people say that they are good side stories which we'll get to how we feel about that um but i i felt like they at least like fit into the overall story it's not like they're going to some completely different place you know it's it's all in logetown so we, we watch that stuff and we'll talk about how we feel about it. Yeah, I think in general, filler stuff tends to be lower quality because it's being produced for a like specific reason to like pad things out. And the creator generally is not involved. So Oda wasn't involved with this stuff. So there's always going to be something that you're losing. But I do think both of the, because there's, there's two different side stories that happen. Well, there's really three, I guess. But I think there's like little things to be gained from them. So I'm glad we watched them, but we'll we'll get into that. The other thing that I really wanted to talk about going into this is that I've mentioned before, a lot of these arcs tend to focus on um, specific elements of One Piece's world and history and stuff. And I feel like this arc, it, I mean, it introduces the bounty system, which we'll get into, but it also focuses a lot on the morality of One Piece, which we've talked about a bunch before and how things aren't really black and white and it's very complicated and uh, I think there are a lot of examples of that stuff in this arc which we'll talk about but yeah with that let's get into it because after Logetown we are finished with the East Blue Saga so that's that's a milestone Mm -hmm. I think for us and for the series (laughs) yes so let's just get right into it So this arc, it starts with everybody sailing toward the Grand Line. It's kind of a one-piece staple that uh, when they're heading to a new location, we get to see a little bit of life on the boat, you know? So it's kind of silly. We get to see Nami getting a newspaper from a pelican, Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty clever. I always thought this was interesting because when you think about the world of One Piece, they really treat it as like the four different oceans and the grand line like everything is very separated like it's it's seen as not being easy to traverse to like the different oceans and everything so you would need some way to 
spread the news and keep everybody in contact. And we don't really get a look at what's behind the scenes here, like why there are Pelicans delivering <laughs> newspapers, but it is our first glimpse of how news gets around, you know. But we also get to see uh, Usopp, who's developing his new Tabasco star. We see Sanji, who is defending their new tangerine grove from Luffy, who's trying <laughs> to pillage it. And then, of course, Zora is just sleeping, but I think he wakes up long enough to call Sanji a simp for <laughs> defending Nami's tangerines. I think that that's just so cute, though, that Sanji made sure that like Nami had a little piece of home. Yeah. Almost. So I thought that was really... That's a neat detail. Yeah. While they're doing all this, we get a glimpse of the uh, what's going on with the Navy. So this is another thing I like about, like, there's usually this period after like the big climactic arcs like Arlong Park where we kind of see like oh what's going on in other parts of the world I've always liked that in like pretty much any manga series like there's just something I don't even know what you would call this but this moment where it's like you know seeing what all these characters are doing and everything I just always thought that's cool yeah but also you're seeing like the kind of reactions of the events that just happened mm -hmm. so in this case we're finally seeing like inside of navy headquarters where they're all gathered and they're finally discussing luffy and the stuff that they've been up to because this whole time they've been just wrecking shop all over the east blue you know and we've been talking about that that nobody really knows who they are and they kind of get underestimated everywhere they go but after defeating arlong they finally are starting to get recognition and we see it get laid out because they specifically mention how dangerous the east blue is becoming now with everything that's happening because it's normally like a pretty quiet area but over the course of i mean how long has passed it's been like a week or something it's, <laughs> it's hard to tell but i mean luffy is a reminder he defeated a navy branch captain axan morgan in the beginning then he went on to fight buggy which we get to reveal that he had a 15 million berry bounty after that's Krieg, who is 17 million, and then finally Arlong, who is 20 million. So they decide in this like unprecedented, they give Luffy a 30 million berry bounty, which is like unheard of as like a first bounty, but in the wake of like everything he's been doing, they think that this is, it's, it's reflective of like the trouble that he's been causing. And the interesting thing about formally introducing bounties like this, I think in the last episode, or maybe it was Arlong Park Part 1, we talked a little bit about shonen and like the tropes and stuff. And power scaling is one of those tropes where you kind of come up with a way to quickly identify like the general power level of someone. And in One Piece, they use the bounties to do that. Because you can even see like the enemies he was fighting, how they kind of go up in, in bounty to show like that each one's stronger than the last and with luffy getting this massive bounty of 30 million um which is higher than anyone else in the east blue it's kind of like showing you at a glance just how strong he is and it becomes important later when we get enemies introduced and you they say like what their bounty is it like tells you the relative difference in strength you know what i mean mm -hmm. does that make sense yes but um but we also get a, as they're like rallying the troops, this is another glimpse at like the morality of One Piece because they mention how like uh, Luffy is like this great force of evil that they need to be rallying against and stopping. And 
of course, you know, the way that we've been seeing Luffy is that he's like this really nice guy who's going around helping people, <laughs> but he's doing this like outside of the law as a pirate. Um, so in the world of One Piece, the Navy just automatically brands him as this evil villain that has to get stopped. But one thing they did change in the anime that I really liked is that they show more like uh, reactions. Like once his bounty is officially declared, it goes around and shows like all these different characters reacting to it. I think in the manga, <clears throat> if I remember right, they only show uh, Fusha Village, you know, his hometown. Mm -hmm which they, they show later on in this uh, episode. But the reaction there, again, showing the morality of One Piece, it's like the mayor is like pissed off and like not happy about it. But the <laughs> villagers are like celebrating and they think like, oh, we're going to have a famous pirate coming from our town. Like, isn't that exciting? But in the anime, we also get to see, uh, we go back to Kaya on, uh, in Seer Village. We see Mary, who's like all distraught, showing her. And then the thing that, do you remember what she notices right away in the bounty poster? Yeah, she notices uh, Usopp, back of Usopp's head, yeah. which is just so sweet. Yeah, it's funny that she immediately recognizes that and is like happy for him, you know. <laughs> and then uh, we also get to see Kobe, our, our little pink haired boy. And He's I remember, growing up. Yeah, you pointed out that like, you were like, how long has it been? Has it been like years? And it's like, no, I think it's just portraying like he's doing all this hard labor for the Navy and getting bulked up. Yeah, I didn't know yoked. doing hard labor made you grow inches. <laughs> yeah. um, there's also a character behind him that I don't think they like really uh, focus on. but Behind Kobe? Yeah. Oh. Okay. We, I think you just see like the back of his head, but it's Helmeppo. And it's oh. showing that Kobe and Helmeppo are now like, like Helmeppo can't throw his weight around with his father being in charge anymore. He's just a like little cabin boy. And so Kobe and Helmeppo are kind of working their way up in the Navy together, which is pretty cool getting like these little slices of what's going on, you know. We also get um, Axan Morgan. Like mm -hmm. I think the <laughs> Navy soldiers come down and show him the poster as a way of like rubbing it in his face and i couldn't really gauge his reaction he looked kind of okay. shocked i'm i'm glad you said that because like yeah. i couldn't really gauge it either yeah so i'm i'm interested that you had the same reaction yeah i couldn't tell if he's like shocked or angry or whatever but but then we get uh we get kuro you know the cat pirate who seems to be back at sea and looking very depressed <laughs> about it <laughs> Um, just shows how thoroughly Luffy defeated him, like not just physically, but like you can tell this man is like reevaluating his whole life. You know? <laughs> yeah, Luffy just straight up ruined his life. <laughs> yeah. But then what's really cool is we get uh, back to the Barati and see Zeph. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Zeph, he doesn't seem to like react very much, but you see that he posted the bounty like on the wall, front and center in the restaurant. So you could tell he's proud. Yeah, that you know? that's a really cool moment. Yeah. But then we finally get back to the merry-go. We're going merry. I think I, I was going to point out with a lot of the translation stuff, there are so many different translations for a lot of stuff in the series. There's a big one that's going to come up later we'll talk about. I think we're just going to use what's comfortable for us. We're not really going to focus on like what is correct or whatever, <laughs> you know? So the merry-go, right? I like calling it the merry-go. I, I think merry-go sounds better. Yeah. Even though I think they call it Going Merry in the anime on Netflix that we're watching. Yeah. But back on the merry-go, we uh, see that the bounty was included with the newspaper. And we get, like, 
you know, a mixed reaction from that because Luffy, of course, is like super happy and ecstatic because he wants to be king of the pirates. Yeah. So this is his first like recognition. Yeah. And it's pretty big recognition getting a, the highest bounty in the East Blue. It's like finally, you know. And then Usopp notices his head and like gloats and holds it over Sanji. He's like super jealous, even though he's trying to act cool about it. But it also it's worth pointing out that he he mentions that like, oh, yeah, you don't just have to be the captain to get a bounty if you're like accomplishing enough. And so Sanji's kind of like, okay, (laughs) but that's kind of alluding to things later. But, of course, as usual, Nami's the only one who's, like, kind of level-headed and worried. Because she recognizes, you know... Well, her and Zoro, we get a little Zoro moment that we we mentioned when we were watching it. Because Nami realizes, like, this means that we're not anonymous anymore. You know, people are going to be after us. And Zoro, specifically, since he used to be a bounty hunter, he mentions that, you know, this means that bigger and stronger bounty hunters and people are going to be pursuing them uh, since he has, you know, that history doing that kind of work. So it's definitely setting things up that even though they're like celebrating, it's like almost casting this kind of shadow over it. Like it is a bounty, you know, (laughs) it means that anyone that takes him out gets all that money. So that's going to put a target on his back, which is a cool like it serves like a dual purpose, you know, because it, it affects the story, but it also gives us, you know, this easy power scaling method as a viewer. After this, with the filler stuff, we're going to be very brief because I just think it doesn't matter. But we get a brief filler thing here when Full Body shows up. Do you remember him from Barati? Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely not in the manga. It's just such a weird throwaway thing. But he shows up and you see that after what happened to him at the Barati. He like gets stripped of his rank and everything and he's really unhappy. He finds out about this bounty on Luffy and there's like this total chance meeting, which doesn't really make any sense where they sail like directly next to each other. <laughs> and he uses that as opportunity to attack them and just gets defeated easily. Cause he thinks, oh, if I take him out, I'll get my rank back. <laughs> uh, but the final bit of exposition we get in this episode is, uh, we actually get taken to the Grand Line and we see there's like this random island where none other than Mihawk shows up. And it's like this island's full of all these pirates. They seem very on edge when they see Mihawk. They think he's there for a fight. He just wants to get led to their leader and we see their leader is none other than our boy Shanks, (laughs) which I know you were happy about. I was so happy to see Shanks again. Yeah, it's cool. This is what I'm talking about. I like these moments where we're getting to see what other people have been up to and bringing up old characters and really all we get from the scene it's like very tense like you get this idea they're kind of rivals like shanks and mihawk but you find out mihawk's just there because he remembers shanks telling him about some young boy that he met in the east blue like a long time ago and he shows him this bounty poster because they the reveal is you know mihawk ran into him he heard about someone from shanks he thinks this might be the same person so now they both have like a history with Luffy and when he shows it to him Shanks immediately gets like so happy and he's like <laughs> oh you made it buddy you know like he's just so excited for him and immediately it's like the cloud goes away and he's like all right we got to celebrate he's like offering a drinks to Mihawk and everything I recently found an interesting pirate seeing him reminded me of a story you used to tell a story about a boy a strange boy from a small village <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Luffy, you made it. I did want to point out when we were watching it, you made some comments about uh, Mihawk and his like morality. Mm-hmm. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I think even from the moment Mihawk was introduced, I got this like gray area feeling about what his character actually like represented. Yeah, I think. I think here when I saw him coming up with the the bounty poster, I I almost kind of was hoping this would be like a good reaction from him. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad I was right, uh, just because I first of all I really like Mihawk. I think he has one of the coolest character designs. Oh yeah. That I've seen so far, and I just really like his vibe. But I I think. How he was so respectful in the fight between him and Zoro. Yeah. I think that really kind of like shaped who he could be because a lot of these like really powerful bad guys go blunt force, like don't give a shit. Like they just go in for the kill basically. Uh, But with Mihawk, he didn't really do that. So I think here I wasn't surprised, but I was like, delighted to see that this is where this is going so yeah. far well i think it's like well, well first of all you you asked me about his morality and i said i think he's more just like neutral mm-hmm. like he definitely is not good or bad he's just kind of in the middle mm-hmm. and it is worth pointing out that like like yeah with that fight with zoro you really get the idea that people who dedicate their lives to like being a swordsman it really is like this all-encompassing thing and when he recognizes that Zoro is like a true swordsman he just doesn't have the level of skill yet you know he's like very unrefined Mihawk as a master swordsman is able to recognize that and he wants to like encourage it you know what I mean which is uh it's definitely like a mutual respect and it shows he because if he was evil he would have just been like oh I don't want you to get to the level where you can defeat me so i'm just gonna kill you now but yeah he's not that kind of character and i i agree i think that's a big part of why his character is so interesting i really first of all i just want to say that i really loved seeing shank's reaction to everything so is that in the manga or no yeah it is okay mm-hmm. yeah i think that's such a special moment so i'm glad that it's included well it's funny we mentioned way back when that shanks does seem to be very similar to Luffy, like this grown-up version of him, because he's like very serious, definitely someone you don't want to fuck with, but he's also kind of silly. And you see the reveal here, everyone is like really like angry as these harsh shadows on them <laughs> and you think something bad's gonna happen. And then he, the reveal is like, oh, he just had a hangover. Because he's like, all right, let's drink. And he's like, wait, what about your hangover, Captain? And he's like, there's no time for that right now. We gotta celebrate Luffy. Oh, so, I love it. I love it. Yeah, so that's great. And you could definitely see Luffy, like, getting to that point, you know, when he becomes a big pirate. Mm-hmm. Back on the ship, we could see, like, you know, they are clearly preparing to head to the Grand Line. Really kick the story off. But they realize they need to go somewhere to get some supplies, stock up first. And they realize they are close to uh, Logetown. And Logetown is historically where the previous king of the pirates, Gold Roger... It's where he was born and where he was executed, which goes in the theme of, you know, the the town of beginnings and endings. And Luffy, uh, we see for sure here that he is definitely like a Gold Roger uh, simp. He's like the the leader of the fan club. (laughs) 
because he is just so excited to go there and see that as like a tourist destination. <laughs> you know what I mean? We should point out specifically, because I don't know if we've like really gone into this in the podcast, but just quickly, the whole the whole idea with Gold Roger is, yeah, he was born in the East Blue, like Luffy. He made a name for himself here before going to the Grand Line, like really followed a similar path to what Luffy's doing. And after his adventures there, we won't go into too much depth because we haven't gotten a lot of that revealed yet. We just know that at some point he gets captured by the Navy. He is brought back to Logetown where he was born and he's publicly executed. And they think this is a way of showing the world that like, you know, if we we even have the power to get our hands on the King of the Pirates and execute him. And they're hoping this will like put a stop to a lot of the, the piracy problems in <laughs> yeah. the world. And instead, Gold Roger ha- makes this big speech about the One Piece being out there for anyone to find it and motivates everybody and gets <laughs> them all excited. And it kicks off the new golden age of pirates, which Luffy is a part of. And I think you can already see some of the similarities in characters that he, the way he's able to like inspire everyone and get everyone like all excited. And I think in the, we pointed out in the flashback, there's a dude that's like flying in the air. He looks like he jumped like 15 feet up. Do you remember? Yes. It's like a still of everyone celebrating. And there's yeah. one guy. He's like all the way the fuck up here. It's like they got, they got really riled up by that. Hey, pirate king. Tell us where in the hell you've hidden all of your treasure. Is it in the Grand Line or someplace else? You found it, didn't you? You there, shut up! The legendary treasure! The One Piece! (laughs) You want my treasure? Just shut your mouth! You can have it! I left everything I gathered in one place. Now you just have to find it! (gasps) So, they make the decision to head to Logetown, see some sights, get their supplies together and it is it's truly is like this this low stakes kind of epilogue leading into the main story so after arriving in logetown they all kind of split up we see luffy runs off to find the execution platform like a true tourist <laughs> nami goes shopping for clothes because women be shopping <laughs> heck yeah <laughs> uh, sanji's just looking at women um <laughs> of course and Usopp, he goes and finds like some knickknack, like general store, which also seems keeping with his character. Yes. But meanwhile, we get introduced to Smoker, who is a Navy captain who is assigned to Logetown. What were your like initial thoughts about his like character design and everything? I, I thought it was cool. It definitely fits his name. Uh, yeah, yeah he's two cigars <laughs> in his mouth all the time. Yeah, yeah it's a cool design. Yeah. I, I like Smoker. Yeah. He's got that cool jacket with the fur on I the mean, collar and stuff. For me, Mihawk is just like the bar well, right yeah. now. <laughs> when we when we see Smoker, he's just chilling in the barracks. Seems to be like very bored, but he gets informed about uh, this new pirate Luffy, 
because we see like as word is spreading and he is told that Luffy's supposed to be in the area so they need to be on alert for him and uh after hearing that there's some new pirates that showed up in the port he heads out to face them hoping that it's the straw hats but we get this little moment this this pops up a, a bit later in the manga but it's worth pointing out now as we're introduced to the character it's the part when the little girl runs into him with her ice cream and everyone's like terrified <laughs> about what he's gonna do yeah but then he just leans down and like gives her money for more and like pats her on the head mm -hmm. it, it's another like one of those morality moments yeah which are gonna come up a lot especially in this arc because here we have someone on the other side of the spectrum he's a navy guy which would make him a bad guy for luffy and his crew and he's even portrayed as being kind of scary you know but then when this happens he's like just a big teddy bear you know yeah wasn't her dad like freaking out yeah yeah <laughs> he's like please don't hurt her you know it's like so over the top um but it is worth pointing out that you know it's not as simple as the oh the pirates in this are good guys and the navy's bad guys because we've been seeing a lot of that up to this point i think this is the first navy character who's kind of like a good dude like he's still you know, Luffy's a pirate, so they're kind of natural enemies in this world. But you see that Smoker is the kind of Navy person who believes in protecting people and doing what's right. And it just it puts them naturally at odds, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think in in a different scenario, they would probably... Well, I don't know if they'd get along because Smoker's kind of serious <laughs> and probably wouldn't tolerate Luffy's silliness. No, but I think there could be a mutual respect. There. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I see where you're going. What I thought was funny, this is another thing that's anime only, but it's just a funny detail. Is when they go to the the port, they discover someone named Galley the Crescent. And it seems like like it's a good look to me at like the D-tier pirates in this world. Because it seems like his whole thing is his hair looks like a crescent moon. Oh, it's yeah. Like that, is, that is the complete embodiment of this <laughs> character, which just tells you, like, he is a fucking nobody. <laughs> like, absolutely. And, yeah, when Smoker shows up, instantly takes him and his whole crew out, and it's just like, this can't be Luffy. Like, there's no <laughs> way this guy is a 30 million bounty. But it's a funny way to, like, fill in the world and everything. I like the idea that it's not just all these big, strong, like, monsters everywhere. You also have these little guys who are, like, trying to make a name for themselves and are just, like, meaningless. Yeah, that's very realistic, I think. I oh, mean, yeah. besides having a moon hair, but... <laughs> but this is the moment when, like, Luffy kind of stumbles up because he's lost looking for the execution platform. And Smoker doesn't recognize him at this point, you know, and, and it goes back to what we've said before, that Luffy's character is like so unassuming looking. He's not like some big, scary looking dude. So he just helps him on his way and tells him like, oh, yeah, just go down this way. I think he even uses his cigar smoke to like guide yeah, him. Yeah. Again, I think now is a good time to point out that this th there's like filler used in this arc in a way that's it feels like it's injected right into it it's not like clear cut like here's the filler here isn't it's all mingled in so we kind of had to watch it like this yeah i i did find it kind of confusing i'm not gonna lie because i yeah. kept asking you like is this part of it or is it not so it's it's especially confusing here because it feels like they have people running around doing all this silly stuff and then there's a point where it's like they hit the reset button and then it goes back to being the manga and it feels like 
We'll get to it, but it feels like we're kind of retreading. It just feels like very awkward. I didn't like the way a lot of it was. Uh, yeah, I agree. Included. Yeah, it was. It wasn't really put in properly. Yeah, it just turns into like Luffy's whole like side story thing. Here is that he finds uh, his way to a bar called the Gold Roger, which obviously named after the pirate, and he sees that it's like shutting down, and the the owner winds up telling him like these stories about Gold Roger. It's stuff that, again, like, it's kind of unnecessary. I did think it was interesting. Like, my takeaway is is seeing exactly how he was fighting these, like, big-name people in the East Blue, like, making a name for himself, and then eventually goes to the Grand Line, and that's exactly what Luffy's been doing. Like, the history books are going to show, like, oh, he defeated Axan Morgan, and then Buggy the Clown, and Krieg, <laughs> and, you know, all these people... So it's it's interesting seeing seeing that like mirrored journey, you know. But then the other the other funny one is we get this moment where Zoro is is shopping for swords because remember he two of his swords were broken by Mihawk, so the only one he has left is the one from uh, Kuina we grew up with. So he's looking for some new swords and he winds up stumbling across um, Tashigi, who is another navy person in the in the manga they refer to her as master chief which is a naval um title i think they give her a completely different title in the anime all that really matters is that she's like fairly high ranking serving under smoker and they're and she's like pretty unassuming like nerdy looking girl with glasses you know and she gets confronted by like these two big pirates that are pissed about smoker taking out their friends or something but it's a chance for us to see, like, Tashigi's just kind of like, all right, I'll take you guys on, and draws her sword and, like, instantly takes them both out. And Zoro is, like, a cool moment where he's, like, starting to draw his sword because <laughs> he thinks he has to help out, and he's just kind of like, oh, you know, like, surprised by it. I do want to ask you, her character design, is it the mm. same in the anime as it is in the manga, or is it yeah. slightly different? I think she's meant to look... A lot like Kuina, if that's okay. what you're yes, getting to. that is what I'm getting at. Yeah, because Zoro, like, there is this weird moment where she loses her glasses, he picks them up, they hand them back, and when he sees her up close without her glasses on, it's like, immediately, she looks exactly like Kuina, and it kind of throws him off. Mm-hmm. And what is funny with the filler stuff here, to show how unnecessary it is, <laughs> In the manga, he just hands her glasses and they kind of go on their own way. In the anime, he smashes them in his hand when he gets surprised. <laughs> he's so shocked, he cracks her glasses in half. Yeah, and it like it's like it opens up this side quest now yeah. where to like pay her back, she has to he has to go and uh, work for the navy. And so it's just this like nothing scene of him taking three mops like three sword style and somehow like mopping up better like that before some navy people recognize him as Roronora's Zoa. Oh, fuck off. You got it. I can never say his name. Roronora Zora. Yeah. They they recognize him as I'm not even going to fucking try it. Let's try. just Hold on, hold on. They recognize Ro- him. Roronora. See, you're not Ro- even saying it right. It's so no, hard to, to say. The, hold on. Roanoa Zoro. Rora, it's Roranora. Roranora. Fuck nope. it. No. Ro, ra, 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 Zoro. <laughs> no, don't do that. That's just disrespectful. Whatever. Don't do that. No, you need to start that over. No, that's, <laughs> it's not a Japanese name, so it doesn't matter. Roanora. It's like a... Just say Zoro. But Zoro, they... <laughs> the Navy people... Some, like, regular Navy people recognize him as Zoro, and... Uh, 
are just immediately like it's like the spider-man meme like pointing at him and he's like oh shit and just runs off and that's like the end of it it's it's silly it's silly but it's funny yeah it's just it's very unnecessary there's also like a little moment i think smoker shows up at the gold roger bar when he's like trying to find luffy and it's revealed that he was there during gold roger's execution which again it wasn't in the manga maybe it comes up later i I don't remember but as of right now that's like non-canon too it doesn't really matter wait that that Mm. is confusing that that's non-canon because i took that as important lore information i know it's possible i don't remember it's possible that this comes up later that that he was there but i don't know i think it's used as a as a way to like show the flashback because smoker was there so he's like retelling what he saw Hmm. whatever um (laughs) during the scene this is when smoker finally sees that wanted poster and recognizes luffy and realizes i think he like oh oh but he 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 remembers that luffy was trying to find his way to the execution platform so he heads out to confront him there i do want to say okay so he is in the Navy, right? Smoker? Yes. Yes. So how did he know about Luffy but didn't take the time to look at the wanted poster beforehand? I don't know. I think he's just like told okay. by his crew about him and this is his first time. I mean, this is like hot off the press. So it's <laughs> it's believable. Enough. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it and this is also a way of showing we mentioned how his bounty it's kind of good and bad. Now we're seeing that people are starting to recognize him. Like in the past, the old Luffy could have just wandered around. Nobody would have noticed. They could have just gone in, got out, no problem. They probably wouldn't have turned out that way because of the way they <laughs> stir up trouble everywhere. Yeah. Now we see like Smoker, when he sees that bounty poster, is like, well, I need to go take him out. So this is kind of building up like what things are going to be like moving forward for the Straw Hats. So the end, I think this is the end of like luffy's filler stuff it's when uh he gets to the execution platform and smoker shows up in pursuit um and it turns into a fight between the two of them i really disliked this moment because i mean it's it's interesting way to put this in here because they don't reveal uh spoiler alert smoker has devil fruit powers we haven't really seen them yet and he mentions when he's fighting with Luffy that, like, oh, he doesn't even need them. He's, like, beating the shit out of him without him. But what I hated about this, and this is what I really dislike about this kind of filler, is when it feels out of place, like, when it doesn't make sense. Because in this in this fight, Luffy is, like, being a total goofball. And he's, like, when he's throwing punches, he's getting, like, thrown off balance and all this stuff. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and he winds up, like, accidentally flinging himself away. And it just feels weird when, up to this point, he's faced, like, such huge challenges, including Arlong, and is being recognized for his strength as a fighter, and then you just see him, like, goofing off. Yeah, it's very weird, especially in the place of his idol. It doesn't really make sense. At all. It's kind of clumsy. It was weird. It felt very unnecessary. We do get a scene here. Before we get into the the other filler stuff, we get the scene where... Oh, and, and I also, before we get into that, we also get revealed that there are two mystery characters showing up 
at, I think they're at the Gold Roger Bar, and they're like cloaked, but it's pretty obvious who they are. Oh, yeah. We don't need to mention it. It's another one that I, I didn't like because they when they show up, it's like this big moment that's like a surprise, and it gets kind of ruined because they keep popping up yeah. throughout this and arc. Again, kind of unnecessary. Yeah, but we'll we'll get to that in the proper order. But during all this, this is when Zora finally makes his way to the sword shop so he can replace his two swords. And when he's there, he starts talking to the shopkeeper about how he only has 100,000 berries, which is pretty funny because he mentions like it seems like Nami is controlling all the money. (laughs) And the only way he can get more money from her is like to get into some horrible debt with her. (laughs) So he's like, this is it. This is all I'm this is all I got to spend. And the uh, the shopkeeper is like pretty annoyed with like how cheap he is and just isn't interested at all. Mm. Oh, it's right before Toshigi shows up. The shopkeeper does notice the white sword that he has. And you can see he like zeroes in and gets very excited about it. But he does the thing where he's trying to haggle and be like, oh, that sword. I don't think that sword is that great, but I'll give you 500,000 berries for it. (laughs) And it's kind of trying to convince him to sell him the sword because he's like, I'll give you enough money. You can buy three swords. No problem. But this is when Toshigi shows up. I think that she was having her sword like sharpened or something. And being like a big sword nerd, which seems to be her thing, she recognizes um, Zora's white sword, which until now we've just known, oh, this was Kuina's sword and it's carrying forward like his oath to her. But she's able to identify it as the uh, Wado Ichimanji, which is considered one of the 21 great grade swords. And I wanted to point out, they again, they use like a different... Uh, translation for the anime that I thought was kind of confusing. In the manga, the way they identify it is um, basically like the best swords in the world are called supreme grade, then there's great grade, then skillful grade, and then just grade blades. Okay. And this uh, Wado Ichimanji that Zoro has is considered one of the 21 great grade swords. So it's like one step away from supreme grade, the best ones. So he's really got something on his hands here. And I think they reveal it's worth like 10 million berries or something. Mm-hmm. But of course, Zoro is not selling it for any price. Right. Because it's very important to him. So the shopkeeper is like very pissed at Tashigi for like <laughs> ruining this for him. It's just kind of like, get out of here. And then just tells Zoro like, look, there's some barrels over there. You can buy a sword for 50,000 berries from those barrels like just pick two whatever you know he's like over it and he's like pissed off and there is like a a nice moment here when because Toshigi at this point doesn't know that he's Zoro she's seen as being kind of bubbly you know mm-hmm. uh, a little absent-minded she does mention something to him about how she has this goal to like collect all the like famous swords in the world that are in the hands of pirates and bounty hunters and to return them to like righteous hands not realizing Zoro, you know is like a bounty hunter and the pirate basically <laughs> and holding one of these swords and i think he even mentions he's like so you're gonna take this from me you know just kind of fucking with her and she's like oh no not you you're such a great guy like yeah i thought that was really funny how Zoro yeah. handles it yeah he plays it off pretty cool but but i i just wanted to point out what i what i thought was interesting about this is you know, she's she complains because she's like, it doesn't make any sense that they're all in the hands of pirates instead of like the Navy or whatever. And you have to realize, like, 
if you are someone like Zoro or Mihawk that's like that dedicated to being a swordsman, you would probably feel chafed being somewhere like the Navy with their like strict rules and regulations. Like I don't see how you could possibly grow to the level they want to be at, you know, underneath an organization like that. So it makes sense to me because being a pirate in this world is is seen as being about freedom mm-hmm. that if you have that kind of aspiration, that kind of dream, like, of course you would be a pirate or a bounty hunter or something where you're going to be able to test your sword on a regular basis and do it on your own terms, Mm -hmm. you know? So I thought that was interesting that like, as someone in the Navy who is like very much, she's like lawful good completely. Like she just isn't able to understand that and recognize it, Mm -hmm. you know? As Zoro is like poking around in the barrels, he's like drawn to this one sword and he pulls it out and is immediately kind of like hypnotized by it. And we get like um, Tachigi, she's able to identify it as the uh, Kitetsu 3. And the shopkeeper, he's like completely unwilling to sell it. You know, he kind of goes back on his word and he's like, anyone but that sword, you can't have that sword. And Zoro is like, oh, because it's cursed, right? And the guy like, is surprised he's like oh I, I thought you didn't know what that was and and Zoro can just tell from holding it like he knows that it's cursed and that leads to a pretty cool scene which i think you liked when we were watching it where he is basically like well let's test uh the curse of this sword versus my own luck and so he takes the sword totally logical <laughs> throws it in the air and sticks his arm out and the blade comes down and like narrowly avoids cutting his arm off and sticks into the ground And so right after that, he just picks it up and is like, yep, this is the sword for me, you know? (laughs) And in this, like, interesting turn of events, the shopkeeper, after he sees that, he, like, immediately runs behind the counter and comes out with this, like, really fancy sword, which he calls the uh, Yubashiri, which is a skillful grade sword. And he tells him, like, you know, I'm just a humble shopkeeper. This is the best I've got, but you can have it for free and the Kitetsu 3. And the revelation, it goes back to what we keep saying about being a swordsman. And I mean, it's I I see it almost as anything like being an artist or something like that with that level of skill that you can kind of recognize that passion and and drive. And he says, like, when I look in your eyes now, I can (laughs) see you are a true swordsman. And so he's like more than happy, even though he was just trying to swindle him out (laughs) of his other sword. Now he recognizes there's something special about him. So he just gives them these incredible swords for free. So now Zoro has three, like, <laughs> really special swords at his disposal as a result of all this. Well, we'll see. How about we find out which one is stronger? The sword's curse or my good luck? No! Stop it! You gotta chop your arm off, you fool! Which I thought was cool. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, too, to show. It it Mm. goes back to all the level of respect there is in the swordsman community. Yeah. Almost. So I I like seeing moments like that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it also 
it's really cool that of course Zoro goes for the sword that's supposed to be cursed and yeah. he's explained that like oh anyone who holds the sword like they meet this untimely end and all this horrible shit and Zoro's just like yup that's that's the sword for me <laughs> that's the one so unfortunately after that really cool sequence we get into like the proper filler of this arc which starts with uh, Usopp's side story I remember reading about it because i hadn't watched this before people mentioned like like the way they described it is like oh it just lets you see what the other straw hats are up to in town while the stuff's going on so i was like oh, okay that might be fun these stories are so bizarre <laughs> like even by <laughs> one piece standards because usopp we see that he's out shopping for like knickknacks and stuff he finds these goggles he really likes but then some random girl comes up and buys them before he has a chance to which leads to him like threatening her or something, like trying to get them back. And the reveal is that her father, uh, I, her father. there's no way that I can keep that I can keep saying this name. No. But his name is Daddy the Parent. How you doing, Smoker? Well, if it isn't Daddy. Yeah. Which every single time I was just like, what in the fuck? Like, I, there's no way I can call him Daddy this whole time. There's, I'm wondering if there's like a, a translation we're missing where it sounds I better. I don't know. But it's so weird. It's a very weird character. It's funny, but it is just yeah. so fucking strange. But Daddy <laughs> is a... Uh, bounty hunter I thought this idea was kind of cool that he's like this really really skilled bounty hunter who uses revolvers but since becoming a father he settled somewhere like Logetown which is like low lower risk where he can just collect these like easy bounties and provide for his daughter without putting his life on the line you know it's a cool concept and he winds up <clears throat> Usopp through like some weird turn of events winds up like in a duel with him over the goggles. Usopp being Usopp, he kind of chickens out and throws a smoke bomb and like everyone gets like really disappointed and everything. <laughs> yeah. But then the big reveal, and this is the takeaway that I actually liked about this, is uh, Daddy, <laughs> he, he recognizes Usopp and he realizes that um, he knew Usopp's father, Yasop. That like sometime way in the past, they dueled one another and Yasop won, but then Yasop spared his life. He didn't finish him off. And the reasoning behind it is, you know, Yasop finds out that he's a father and they're able to like relate because Yasop, he, he's also a father, but he ran away from his family and you can see like in this moment that it's it's something that's kind of troubling him but you get the idea that for a character like him he can't just stay in one place you know so it's it's something that's definitely hurting him but it shows that he still does care about Usopp you know and the other interesting thing is as they're leaving daddy what the fuck was his name before he had a kid like what uh, he was always what daddy okay. <laughs> but he he calls out, he's like, what are you doing? Like, you won, you need to kill me. That's how it goes. And Yasop is kind of like, that's how it is for you Navy guys, because you have <laughs> your, like, strict rules and everything. For a pirate, we do what we want. And that means that if I don't want to kill you, I'm not going to kill you. I lost our duel, Yasop! You can't leave me here like this! You owe that much to me! 
You Marines may have to follow the rules and do everything by the book, but the best part about being a pirate is that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Later. Which, again, goes back to the morality stuff we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting, and you see that it affects Daddy mm -hmm. in the moment as well. Like, it definitely hits something for him. Uh, and, and might even be part of the reason why he gave up on putting his life on the line that way and kind of settled down in Logetown. I think it's a cool character moment. Yeah. Um, it's strange. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's... I, I like seeing more rounded out story details about Usopp, too. Yeah. Especially with Yasop, because I like Yasop. Yeah. And it feels like it's not like treading on the canon stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it's just kind of filling in some gaps and everything. So I think it is overall like... It, it benefits the overall story, but really only that, like, yeah, flashback, only, yeah. basically. Well, I'll say that, and then the next part we're going to talk about, too. Next part's pretty cool, too, because then after hearing this, Usopp gets, like, motivated to regain his honor. So he gives him this chance to shoot at this target that's super far away. So it gives Usopp the chance to show his, like, sharpshooting skills again, because that is mm -hmm. ultimately his role in the Straw Hats, even though he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. And Daddy puts a gun to his head to, like, put his life on line, says, like, you know, you have to make the shot or I'm going to kill you. And in those, in that kind of moment, under that pressure, Usopp makes the shot, shows he's the real deal. And he Not also... Not only does he make the shot, uh -huh. it goes through the weather vane, yeah. which is crazy. <laughs> and it's also cool because he lets him use his slingshot, too. He's like, yeah. you can use your weapon of choice. And that's Usopp's whole thing. Yeah. And then the other the other filler story we get is with uh, Sanji and Fiery Carmen. He's no, like this very is silly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a very silly. There is there is one good takeaway which I'll get to. Yeah. But yeah, this whole thing. So the funny thing about it, it starts because Sanji is shopping for food and supplies, and he finds this. Um, what do they call it? The uh, the elephant bluefin tuna, which is from the South Blue. And they reveal that sometimes fish from other oceans like wash up here since they're near the Grand Line. Um, little cool exposition around the all blue. And we get that reminder that that's like Sanji's dream is to find this legendary ocean that has like fish from all the different oceans in one place. So seeing a fish from a different ocean for someone like Sanji has to be like really exciting. Because he's just thinking, what does it taste like? What can I do with it, you know, when I'm cooking it? But the thing is, like, in the manga at this point, he just sees it and he's like, oh, I want that. And then he buys it and that's it. <laughs> but <laughs> for the filler, what they do is they say, oh, this is being used as the prize in this, like, cooking championship that's happening. And because I think right before this, he gets challenged by Fiery Carmen because she says she's trying to be the greatest uh chef in the east blue and so she's like targeting and challenging other chefs it's so fucking silly but sanji doesn't care he doesn't have any time for that but when he <laughs> finds out that it's you know the grand prize in this championship he realizes like he's gonna have to enter so it's just we get a competition that's silly as hell because we just see fiery carmen like um skinning carrots while like laughing maniacally and like <laughs> it's just really silly And in the end, of course, 
Um, oh, and I should mention, like, she she went after Sanji because I think he showed up in the paper with the Bharati mm. and was being called, like, the best chef in the East Blue. So she could not handle that. And, I mean, it's it's really, it's so throwaway. Like, they're just cooking shit. And then, like, when the, when the judges are getting ready to reveal that he's the winner, she, like, immediately withdraws and says, like, we'll meet again. <laughs> I like getting more exposition about the all blue and about Sanji's dreams and his aspirations and everything. And it's also nice to like have them formally recognize Sanji as like the best chef in the East Blue cuz even though that's like you you think about like being the best swordsman mm-hmm. and being like the strongest pirate, it's still like Sanji, it's still nice seeing him get accolades for the thing that he's passionate about. You know what I mean? And it's really driving home that he is developing this like all-star crew you know nami's like the best navigator Mm -hmm. usopp as silly as his character is he is this like amazing sharpshooter you know they are all like at the absolute top of their game and they're becoming a little too big for the east blue like Mm -hmm. they need to be moving on somewhere if they're gonna keep growing and developing their skills so it's nice having that that recognition for sanji even though we already knew (laughs) <laughs> we already knew he's the best. He's also a great fighter, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. But I think, like, to him, the chef element's probably, oh, well, like, his yeah. real passion. Yeah, know? he. I I think, like, if he didn't have his hands, he'd be depressed and miserable. Oh, yeah. I can relate. Um, but the way things kind of wrap up and we get back to the regular canon is Nami is able to recognize that a storm is coming so she's saying they need to get back to their ship like right away so Sanji, Usopp and Nami are heading back to the ship with Sanji and Usopp carrying the elephant fish and meanwhile Luffy uh, finally makes his way back to the execution stand which again it feels awkward because it's like he was just here but this is where the like actual story picks up so we are resetting back to the canon. Yeah I feel like they could just cut that other filler out because it like that really like kind of messed with me Luffy's filler yeah Yeah. because I I was thinking like wait he just like ended up back here again like it doesn't make sense and I wish it didn't exist it feels the most unnecessary (laughs) and we also get smokers like mobilizing to go and deal with him for real because now he recognizes you know who he is So back at the execution platform, we see Luffy just climbs up top and is just like taking in the sights and just definitely acting like a, a tourist, you know, and remarking about how this must be the last thing that Gold Roger saw before he was executed. And meanwhile, there's like a police officer below him that's like just yelling at him to get down. <laughs> but this is when we get introduced to another character from the past who shows up with a giant spike club. She just knocks the police officer out and like <laughs> upsets everybody but then immediately she's like this uh this really beautiful woman and everyone like gets these hearts in their eyes and are immediately like infatuated with her even the police who were talking about arresting her while they have hearts in their eyes <laughs> so did you realize who this was at first 
The first time through, no. I wasn't sure what was happening or who that was. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, she's like yelling all this nonsense at Luffy about how like he's going to be hers and all this stuff and says that he's the first man who hit her. And Luffy is just completely confused the whole time, has no idea who she is. As more of the police are showing up, there's like an explosion that blows up the fountain and a big chunk of the fountain heads right for her and like just slides right past her and like doesn't hurt her at all. And then we get the reveal that uh, Buggy is back, that Buggy has been pursuing Luffy this whole time, trying to get his revenge after getting his crew back. And he met up with none other than Alvida, the lady from Romance Dawn. Mm -hmm. She was like a big fat woman. And inexplicably, she got her hands on uh, the smooth, smooth fruit, a devil fruit that makes her skin like perfectly smooth. And somehow that makes her like skinny and beautiful, (laughs) which like, sure, (laughs) like doesn't make a ton of sense. It's also just such a bizarre devil fruit power because it's like it just makes everything uh, slide off of her skin. But yeah, so they all reveal they've been in town. This is like the big supposed to be the big surprise moment when they're revealed. Like I said, they added stuff in the anime. So they're kind of cloaked and like looking around town beforehand. But they get the drop on Luffy and Kabaji, which is the uh, swordsman under buggy. He traps Luffy up on the platform with a pillory, which we had to look up what that was called. But it's like the the thing where you have your head and that your hands sticking out. But they're like they're completely ready to execute him in front of this whole crowd as like a storm is starting to roll in. And uh, so as this happens, uh, word starts spreading around the town, and it makes its way to Zoro and Sanji, who immediately head for the town square to try and help Luffy. And while that's happening, uh, while Nami and Usopp, they continue heading for the ship because they're still worried that it's not going to be there when they need it. And as that's happening, Smoker, he starts setting up his troops surrounding the square, thinking that uh, when this is all said and done, they'll just swoop in and deal with whoever's left, who presumably will be weaker at that point. And that's when we get this pretty cool moment where Buggy takes out a sword and he's getting ready to behead Luffy and kind of says, you know, do you have any last words? And Luffy takes that as his opportunity to (laughs) shout out that he's going to be king of the pirates to everybody in the square, which definitely resonates with um, what happened with Gold Roger. It's, It's like a mirror of what he experienced. And it seems like the perfect platform to like, announce this to the world because this is his first time like making such a public declaration like that because he's been saying it this whole time to like (laughs) anybody who will listen but this is like a big moment and buggy is just completely ready to dismiss that because luffy isn't in any position to get himself out of this and also zoro and sanji they show up and they're like fighting their way to get to luffy to try and rescue him before they can get there, it's like this tense moment where the sword's starting to come down and his like final <laughs> words are just to like, Luffy just puts on this big smile and just like, oh, sorry guys, I guess I'm dead. Say that! 
He smiled. <laughs> it's just like very matter of fact and it's it's interesting because you know Zoro and Sanji are like panicking in this moment but Smoker is the one who when he sees that he recognizes the way that Luffy is just smiling in the face of death and I think he even mentioned something to his his like crew and uh, the crew were kind of like yeah you know in your final moments that's when you're you're true self kind of shows out and everyone begs for their life and everything but luffy just puts on this huge smile which was very similar to what happened with gold roger when he was getting executed so it it also just says a lot about luffy at this point shouldn't be surprising we we (laughs) kind of know who we're dealing with at this point you know i don't know how did you feel about this because i know when i was reading it it they really build it up as like oh he's gonna get his head cut off like how is he getting out of this like what were you thinking in the moment i i think just because i am already aware of how big this is that like there's no way they're going to execute luffy right now but it's Mm -hmm. super cool because i really like the parallel between gold roger and luffy yeah and the way he gets out of it which in the moment feels like a little too convenient, but it makes sense eventually. We'll get to it. Just as the sword is about to strike him on the neck, it gets struck by lightning, sets the whole platform on fire, sets Buggy on fire, (laughs) and Luffy just pops out like completely unscathed, which I know watching it, you mentioned. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's made of rubber, so that's like the ultimate defense against lightning. It makes sense. Which is, I thought, a very cool detail. It is a funny observation, because that's going to play into things much later. Okay. But it's funny that you notice that right away, because they don't really draw any attention to it here. But yeah, so after somehow freeing himself from this, he meets back up with Zoro and Sanji, the, the Navy converges on the square starts fighting with all the pirates and they realize like we got to get out of here like because luffy's ready to just watch the fight and he's all like all excited and they're like look we're never gonna make it to the grand line if we don't get back to the ship and that gets luffy moving but smoker and tashigi they go in pursuit and i i did think it's worth pointing out smoker seems to be the first one who like he has the insight to really take luffy seriously at this point um because I think everyone before now has really been like very dismissive of him. But Smoker, he recognizes like we cannot let them get to the Grand Line because he sees the potential and he was able to draw that connection to Gold Roger. So he right away has that insight to say we got to stop them before they get to the Grand Line because they're just going to keep getting stronger and become a much bigger threat down the road. As we get to the finale of this arc, it is worth quickly mentioning that before pursuing the Straw Hats, uh, Smoker goes down to the square to just try and immediately subdue everyone. There is this like weird moment where Buggy turns into a car, where he like separates <laughs> his body and grabs on the car pieces, and uh, they like pull out a ramp out of nowhere, and Alvita like uses her powers to make the ramp like super slick. <laughs> It's like this whole big setup and then Smoker just comes down and immediately subdues everyone in the square. And this is when we get 
the reveal of his devil fruit powers, which, appropriately enough, he's able to turn his body into smoke and manipulate like every aspect of it and turn it solid. And it seems like very powerful. Mm-hmm. And this winds up being our introduction to the idea of different types of devil fruits. So I'll say there are three types of devil fruits in One Piece. One of them we have not been introduced to yet, so we'll put that aside. Okay. But the other two are uh, paramecia, which are devil fruits that give you powers, like the smooth, smooth fruit, and uh, even like Buggy's chop, chop fruit, and even the gum, gum fruit. They are considered paramecia. But the other type are logia. I think that's how you say it. But logia devil fruits they allow you to basically command like different elements and it literally makes you into whatever that is. So like in Smoker's case, he is literally made of smoke and you can very quickly see how powerful that is because not only does that mean he can send out smoke and do whatever he wants with it, if anyone tries to punch him, his body just turns into smoke and it goes right through him. So it immediately shows you like these Logia fruits are very, very powerful. Like, I don't even know at this point what you're thinking as far as, like, how would you fight that? You know, because I can remember feeling like that just seems like he's invincible. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, unless there's like a fan nearby or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's one weakness. <laughs> uh, or like a vacuum cleaner or something, I guess. <laughs> but we also get... Uh, because he, he's able to subdue everybody instantly with that power. We also get introduced to the idea of uh, Sea Prism Stone, even though I think they don't call it that by name yet. But they put a net over Alveda and Buggy, and they're kind of frustrated that they can't use their powers. I'll just say, I mean, this isn't a spoiler. It's made out of Sea Prism Stone, which is this material that contains like the power of the sea. And so it neutralizes Devil Fruit powers. Makes sense. It's very cool. Yeah, and it makes sense since the the oceans like their big weakness. Yeah, it Um, also makes sense that the government would weaponize it. Yes. So yeah. I mean, it 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 kind of it is interesting. It 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 builds up like like you said. How would the government fight all these crazy devil fruit users that are everywhere? And especially when you have presumably other logia fruit users out there, this is one possible counter to that. We also get introduced to a new character. We'll talk about him more later, but there's this mystery cloaked figure who is walking through the town, and there's like this narration about inherited will in reference to Luffy. I don't know if this meant anything to you at this point, because it didn't mean anything to me. (laughs) not at all, and actually I forgot. (laughs) Yeah, it's very cryptic, but it definitely seems to be teasing something much bigger Again, seems very appropriate for this arc that's the end of the prologue because it's kind of pointing toward the fact that this story is much bigger than what we've seen so far. I mean, we haven't even been to the Grand Line yet, and that's being built up accurately is where like all the real figures are. The real threats, the real movers and shakers and everything are on the Grand Line. We go back to the... Uh, Mary Go at this point, Nami and Usopp finally arrive there and they find our boy Moji, whose name I messed up over and over again <laughs> in Orangetown, but he's the lion tamer guy who has his, his giant purple haired lion, Richie. Yes. Which is also a great name for a lion. 
but they had this this whole scheme. Wait, does this feel like Lionel Richie? Is that why he <laughs> probably? <laughs> he probably, probably loves pop culture. He references he's got a lot. Michael of stuff. Jackson. Oh yeah. No, it's got to be Lionel Richie. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, when you're coming up with names for, like, all these different characters, you know you're going to put some puns in there, for sure. <laughs> but he had this whole scheme to burn down the ship while Buggy was confronting them in the square. But since it started raining, it kind of messes with their plans. So Nami and Usopp wind up confronting them. And uh, it's funny because Richie... Well, I did want to point out, we, we mentioned that uh, he turns Richie into, like, a motorcycle. <laughs> Like it's hairy and everything, and he even yeah. goes like, rum, 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 <laughs> like growls yeah, like a motorcycle. Silly. That's so funny. Those are the little <laughs> One Piece details that I love. Yeah. But Richie goes after them, and Usopp uses Fresh Egg Star, and it's like a whole joke that while this is happening, Richie just seems to be uh, hungry and like isn't really focused on anything. So when he shoots the the egg at him. Richie just stops and starts like licking up the egg, like completely <laughs> disables him just like that. Um, but this is also when in the in the anime, the Navy shows up and they start attacking them. I think they wanted to add more stakes and like a bigger climax, because I think in the manga, they just they deal with Moji very easily because he doesn't seem to be <laughs> very threatening and they get on the ship. And meanwhile, back in the town, Luffy, Zoro, and Sanji, they first wind up getting stopped by uh, Tashigi, who challenges Zoro to a fight. And then, not long after that, Luffy gets confronted by Smoker. So Sanji winds up running ahead. And there's this kind of cool scene where he's fighting the Navy, trying to make his way to the ship. Nami starts sailing the ship because it's just too vulnerable in port like that. But there's a cool moment where Usopp, when he sees Sanji in, in danger, he just immediately jumps off the ship and goes to help him. And moments like that I really love with Usopp, who's like this cowardly character. But you know when the chips are down, like he's got your back. Like mm -hmm. he, is, he is a true member of the Straw Hats. But meanwhile, we see with uh, Zoro and Tashigi, Zoro defeats Tashigi pretty easily, which I mean, he's Zoro. Like, yeah. Come on. And it is this this cool moment where she gets very upset and frustrated because he defeats her and immediately just starts walking off. And she thinks that he spared her life because she's a woman. Mm -hmm. And you get the idea that she's probably lived her life always being kind of looked down on as a woman who's trying to be a swordsman, which, of course, rings very true for Zoro because he can remember exactly what Koina was going through. So... Zoro actually winds up getting like pretty angry with her because he he not only does she look just like Koina, she's acting just like Koina too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you see it gets very frustrating for him. And I think at this point I'm going to editorialize a little bit because I think what he says is that it's just like fucking with his head, you know? I think that in the moment, Zoro is like he's frustrated by that mentality as a swordsman because he's able to just respect someone based on their their swordsmanship and their skills and doesn't look at things like gender, you know, because he is our woke king. Mm -hmm. So I think he's just getting he's getting angry at this like self-defeating attitude, which you can't really blame her for. Like it feels like the world of One Piece, you know, maybe isn't as progressive as uh, we would hope. It still has the same issues that our own world has mm -hmm. when uh, 
looking at women and what they're capable of. Zoro is like so laser focused on swordsmanship that he just he he gets angry and frustrated. Like I said, at that like self de- defeating mentality. Um, did this like hit for you? Well, I, I mean, of course. Yeah. Obviously, I recognize the struggles of being a woman in a certain field and men taking over that. I get that. What's really on my mind right now is how the filler kind of messed my perception of her up. Yeah. And this was this even watching through again, like it's still in the back of my mind. There is this like side story going down the like back doors of my brain where she is actually Kawina. And and I think I can't stop thinking about that because I'm like, well, is there a possibility? Did something happen or father ship her off or something? And like she had to change her name or I don't know. But I don't think that's the case. I would bet there is a ton of theory crafting around this kind of stuff. I don't really like to dig into that Mm -hmm. too much. But watching it this time did make me think like, wait, did she like lose her memory somehow Mm -hmm. and maybe she's still alive? Like, I don't I I I was thinking that, too. I don't know. All of this is just theory. It's not in the story. It's just where my mind was going between canon events and then filler story. Yeah, it might just be that she looks a lot like her and that's it. You know, and there's nothing else to it. I mean, that also just happens in life, too. Sure. But then we see with with Luffy, what I did think is interesting here is when Luffy's fighting Smoker, again, we mentioned... At this point, Luffy has been through so much, and he's fought like so many powerful opponents. So it's easy to get into that mindset that like, oh, Luffy can take anything. You know, he can take on any bad guy. He's the man. But when he fights Smoker, I mean, Smoker takes him down instantly. Like Luffy doesn't even know how to fight him. You know, with his devil fruit powers, because he just punches right through it. And that's really what's what Luffy does is he just punches really hard. And when you punch something and your fist goes right through it like smoke, it's like, what do you do after that? I did want to point out really quickly, though, we mentioned the Richie motorcycle. I thought it was cool that Smoker also has a motorcycle that is, like, powered by the smoke (laughs) from his devil fruit, which is, like, very clever and very funny. Yeah, very clever. But anyway, yeah, Luffy, he gets taken down very quickly and... I think Smoker even tells him, like, you you cannot enter the Grand Line without defeating me, which also seems to be telling about the type of threats he's going to face, that if he can't fight someone like Smoker here, then how are they ever going to survive in the Grand Line? Like, it, it really is being built up as something so much bigger and more dangerous than I think they understand at this point, you know? And especially... <laughs> go ahead. Have we been introduced to this type of devil fruit before? Is this the first no, time? No, it's the first okay. time. But it, it winds up being similar to like Mihawk versus Zoro, where it shows he's like, you know, big fish in a small pond. And it's a glimpse at like how much bigger and more dangerous that the world is, which also really helps to set up where we're going. And for me, made me even more excited about like what is on the Grand Line. You know, what what kind of dangers are they going to be facing? Because Luffy's been just steamrolling everything. And we talked about that in past episodes, that we weren't really getting a sense of just how strong Luffy is because he's taking everyone down so easily. Arlong is the only thing that, like, really threatens him. 
But even then, he comes out on top without too much trouble. But Smoker, I mean, this is it. He like he completely subdues Luffy immediately. And the only reason that Luffy makes it out of this is because a that mysterious hooded figure shows up and saves him. And we get a name for him. His name is Dragon, and he has like some sick face tattoos. <laughs> That's kind of all we get. But we also get the reveal that he seems to have devil fruit powers that control like storms like he was the one who brought down the lightning to save luffy oh. did you not <laughs> pick no. that up you thought it was just complete random thing? i literally thought it was just like yeah. act of god <laughs> okay. I, th- I think it's cool because i think it works either way where it's like luffy would be that lucky oh yeah but there is a force that's behind this it's not just complete chance and smoker recognizes dragon as being someone that the government is after so very mysterious setup. Did you have any kind of thoughts or predictions about who this person is at this point? No, Why not at he's all. saving Luffy? No. All right. <laughs> Another one of the, like, good hints that's, like, setting up the bigger story to come. But he uses his powers to just blow everybody away. I mean, clearly, very, very strong uh, devil fruit there. Being able to control storms. You know, again, it's a hint that, like, what could be lurking in the Grand Line. But Luffy is able to reunite with Zoro, Sanji, and Usopp, and he just, like, catapults them all onto the ship. So they're able to flee the island. And we get a couple last moments before we wrap this up. One is um, we get to see in the aftermath, Buggy and Alvita, they manage to escape I think Buggy and Alvita, the net or whatever, gets blown away by a dragon, by this whole calamity. They remark about how they're going to enter the Grand Line in pursuit of Luffy. They definitely seem to have an axe to grind with him. But it's worth pointing out that Buggy refers to the Grand Line as being nostalgic. So clearly, like, we already knew that he was uh, he was on a famous pirate crew before with Shanks. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if they really say who it is at this point. Do you remember? I, I don't think they mention who what the crew is. <clears throat> but he's he's returning to the Grand Line in pursuit, and uh, Smoker also tells Tashigi they're gonna head out there too. Basically, going against the Navy's orders because he's supposed to stay put in Logetown. But he sees Luffy as being such a big threat that. He's like, forget the orders, we're heading out after him. And this again, like, really seals the idea that Luffy and the Straw Hats, they are making a name for themselves. They are making enemies, you know, because they are, we've seen them making all these friends and these great connections. They're also making enemies. They're also um, creating these figures who are going to be in pursuit of them. And I think that. Their, like, easygoing time of just sailing around from adventure to adventure is kind of coming to a close. Mm-hmm. The way that they finally wrap up Logetown is another very classic scene. Nami reveals to them that there is a lighthouse that points the way to the Grand Lines, like, still kind of cryptic. So they are heading toward that lighthouse now. And they also reveal that, like, the way to the Grand Line itself is supposed to be very dangerous um, and, but, of course, Luffy's like, all right, let's go, like, <laughs> just ready to go. But as they're getting ready to embark on the main adventure of One Piece, setting foot in the Grand Line, we get this scene where 
each of the straw hats puts their foot on a barrel, you know, as they each call out their goals. So we get Sanji, who is seeking out the all blue. Luffy, of course, who's trying to be king of the pirates. We get Zoro, who wants to be the world's greatest swordsman. Nami, who wants to chart the world's oceans. And Usopp, who just wants to be a brave warrior of the sea. (laughs) And yeah, they all put their feet in together. Okay, then. I think we should say something to mark the occasion. Right. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm going to the Grand Line to find the All Blue. I'm going to be King of the Pirates. The world's best swordsman. (laughs) I'm going so I can draw a map of the entire world. I guess I'm going to be a brave warrior of the sea. Basically set out on this uh, much bigger adventure, and we've again. This is another thing we've pointed out before, but I really like that each of the Straw Hats has like their own ambitions and goals. You know, it's not just about everyone putting their weight behind Luffy so he can be king of the pirates. They all have their own things that they're trying to accomplish, and Luffy is supportive of all of that. <laughs> the end of Logue Town. It's the end of the East Blue. Did you have any final thoughts about this arc and how it wraps up? Um, I think there. I'm still left with some questions here that I feel like can't be answered. Yeah. Like uh, what? Well, there's these different types of devil fruits. Yeah. Can someone? And I'm sure this can't be answered, but I'm just going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Could someone eat more than one? Or do they counteract each other? Like I don't think um, it's been answered yet, but it's just yeah. like a floating possibility. Yeah, I don't really want to talk about that yet. Okay, I don't know. It's just questions. Yeah. No, if you are, have questions, yeah. feel free. So as we wrap up the East Blue Saga, did you have any like final thoughts on this arc specifically? No. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I feel like my 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 weird lingering questions are kind of unanswered but in a way where it's like okay just have to wait kind of deal so oh you got a lot to look forward to yeah well i know i'm very excited i will say something i thought about watching this arc that i just wanted to point out because i thought it was cool is i think it's interesting to think about the straw hats journey like from the outside where you realize like there is this nobody who is going around beating the shit out of all these like Um, These pirates that have big bounties, like all these big name people in the East Blue. And also finding out that he somehow recruited Zoro, who is like this famous swordsman. Because they point that out a lot, that people know Zoro. They don't know who Luffy is. They know who Zoro is. They know he's a big deal. And imagine what that has to look like from the outside, that Zoro, who is a bounty hunter, is now a pirate serving under this like goofy nobody uh, named Luffy. I just think that's like, that's very interesting to me. No, I've thought about that dynamic too, of 
you know, anyone who is to come across them that knows Zorro must be like, well, if he's hanging out with him, he he must be really powerful. It really just drives home our humble beginnings because another thing that is so great about this series is it really, it, it goes places. And it's not the kind of series that ever feels like it's really spinning its wheels like there's always forward momentum and you get to really see the straw hats like grow and become stronger and more recognized as time goes on and if you only knew like where the story is at now like looking at where it started and where it's at it's it's pretty crazy but we will get there (laughs) so the last thing that we have to do of course is we have to rank the arc so as a reminder Right now we have Arlong Park at number one, which will probably stay there for a while. We have Barati at number two, Orange Town at number three, Romance Dawn at number four, and Syrup Village at number five. So with Logetown, would you say you like it more than Barati? No. Do you like it more than Orange Town? I do like it more than Orange Town. Okay. Okay. I think that made it easy. Yeah, I, it did. <laughs> I, I think I'd agree. I think it's funny because I, I don't think Barati is as like well-regarded in the like bigger anime sphere. We just really like it because <laughs> of Sanji. And, yeah. and I mean, it's well, there's a lot of good stuff he, in that Not arc. just Sanji. Yeah. Because Zeph is really cool. Zeph's great. The ship design is just like over the top. Yeah. Very cool. So, yeah. There, there was a lot happening in that arc that... You know, like Sanji kicking that guy's ass. Yep. He was trying to be like, he was like an influencer. <laughs> yeah. Like, Listen. yeah. Yeah, that's our boy, uh, Full Body. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's our boy, Full Body, who showed up again in this arc very mm-hmm. briefly. Oh, I, but I definitely, I stand by our Barati love. <laughs> um, I just think it's funny. That's probably going to be up there for a while. Oh, but, yeah. but personally, yeah, Logetown, I feel like the anime adaptation of Logetown is is pretty messy um, because of all the filler and all the little changes. But at its core, there's just something about, like you can feel the excitement of like what's to come here. Like, cause it really does feel like this is their final moment in the East Blue. We're finally seeing their actions kind of catching up with them with the bounty and with the recognition. And even with Buggy and Alveda showing up, mm-hmm. like wanting revenge this is when we get our first glimpse at like the straw hats on like the world stage and the excitement of us finally heading to the grand line after this, like it just really has this final uh, feeling to like the atmosphere and everything. That's just like brimming with excitement, at least for me. No, I feel that too. And I think that's why I like it so much, probably because of all this lore with uh, gold Roger and Luffy like yeah. how it's entangled, I think this the writing is just above. Like it's it even though it's very short and I will say some of the filler is kinda dumb. Yep. I I still really like the story enough to, to still rank it sort of high. Yep. But that said, I think the next episode that we're gonna be doing is the East Blue recap where the idea is we're gonna talk much more broadly about the East Blue and all the arcs and we're not going to be recapping we're just going to be 
talking more generally about everything. Have some other fun stuff planned, more rankings and stuff we'll get to. Also want to use that episode to talk a little bit about the podcast itself and like the process and the journey, because mm-hmm. I think all of that is an important part of this since we are new to this. And that part of it is kind of its own adventure for us. <laughs> yeah. So we'll go into that on that episode as well. And probably take a little break, focus on side piece before we get back to the Arabasta, Arabasta saga. But once we get back, the next arc is Reverse Mountain, which covers episodes 61 through 63 of the anime and chapters 101 through 105 of the manga. And it is worth pointing out, there is a full filler arc um, between now and then. It covers episodes 54 through 61. It's called the Warship Island arc. We're going to be skipping that, going right into Reverse Mountain. I also wanted to point out, from what I saw, episode 61 is kind of like half and half, which is another thing that makes this complicated. We're going to watch that episode because it does have some Reverse Mountain stuff in it, like toward the end. But that's it. I think that's that's it for the East Blue. We're ready to get into the story proper now. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to plug the socials? Yeah. You can find us everywhere at Straw Hat Social Club. If you would like to email us about an anime movie you want us to review on Sidepiece, you can email us at strawhatsocialclub at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, yada yada. Follow us everywhere. But as always, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. You're all the best. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> really are. Whoever you are. <laughs> but you can catch us next week with uh, the East Blue recap. Mm-hmm. So this has been Straw Hat Social Club. I'm Todd. I'm Becca. And we will catch you next week.